you know, as we go through these chapters on Elijah's miracles, we get chapters that like have a lot of different stuff in them all at once. You know, so I'm always looking like, what is the thing? I know chapters were made by man. You know, God didn't tell him when he was writing chapter seven, verse one. You know, we put all the numbers and, and all that stuff in there. But you got to wonder, like, what got this group together and made them say, I'm going to put these two miracles in this chapter and I'm going to put this one in this chapter and I'm going to do this one here. And they had to see some sort of, of connection. And uh, the connection I saw this week, you see part of it on the screen. And I'm going to use a little confession because I'd left part off for a reason, but it, but it gives me an opportunity to confess and, and to brag a little bit on God instead. So, so I said, God can handle it all. Because when you read this chapter, you start off with a guy who lost his axe head. You're like, man, that's such a small, mundane thing for the creator of the universe to worry about. But he was worried about it. And then you, you got this last section. I know it's not the end of the chapter. But we're going to call it the end of the chapter for us today. You know, you got this section where, where the guy is surrounded by an army that wants to kill him because he's been ruining the king's plans. And you're like, man, that's that's a big, that's a big deal. And God still cares about it and wants to be involved in it so I, I had told crystal i said man I, I almost wanted to title the sermon big small god can handle it all but i, I but i was so afraid that that's the shop slogan so i was like man half of you at least or maybe a third of you or whatever it should be 90 percent of you by the way but yeah you know, I, I don't know how many but i was like i didn't want to confuse those two but then here's what i get to confess is i'm sitting over there thinking and and marty getting up and bragging about god and, and how awesome he is and all this kind of stuff here's the thing we got a shirt slogan that says that sure big small we do it all we don't do it all. You bring me a bicycle tire, I'm going to send you back to your house with a screwdriver and tell you to do it yourself. That's too small. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I can do your bicycle tire. If you have a problem, call me. I'll do it, right? But, but that's not what I want to do. OTR tires. I'm not doing those. you got to have a crane to pick those things up and, and put them on the rims. Like There's machines that do that. We don't do that. But who wants to buy a bunch of hoodies and slogans and hats to say, big or small, we do almost all of it all. What? That's a horrible slogan. Nobody wants that. So we, we fib just a little bit. And we don't just do it as a tire shop. We do it as a society, do we not? All the time we fib just a little bit to make something sound just a little bit better, a little bit cooler, because if it wasn't there, you know, it wouldn't sound as, as good as it is. When you read chapters like this and these miracles and everything in God's word, I'm going to tell you right now, big or small, God can handle it all. There ain't nothing too major. There ain't nothing too minor. There ain't nothing too small. There ain't nothing too big. God cares about all of it. You know, we, we, we sit there and, and as, as we get into this, I didn't even think I had an intro, by the way. I said we're not doing an intro this morning because we're going to jump right into these points. But uh, here's the intro. Like Marty talked about it being a dad. You ever had like one of your, especially if it's a little girl, you ever had like a little girl lose like, I don't know, some stupid toy. They're out there, so it's okay, right? They're in kids. But, but some stupid little toy that you didn't think mattered at all. I mean, let's, let's be honest this morning. All right, Chris is the only honest guy with me. All right, we both got a daughter. You lost your wife? Oh, <laughs> you got more problems than I thought. <laughs> You're married and lost a wife. That's not good. <laughs> but but think about it. How often is it like, and they run in there and they're whining, they're upset. And what do we do? Well, what do me and Chris do? The rest of you dads are heathens. Chris, what do you do? It's okay. Huh? Yeah, we ask questions. Where'd you last have it? Let's let's find this thing. Is it because the piece of paper to the little toy that doesn't matter matters to you? No. Half the time I pick up those little pieces of paper and throw them in the trash can while they're not looking so I can clean up the house a little bit. You know what I'm talking about. You're shaking your head, right? (laughs) 
but, but we care so much about them that we want to address those problems, right? Now, some of the bigger issues as they get older. You got a mama who's proud her boy's going to play college ball, which is phenomenal, man. I mean, I don't know what the, the statistics are on that, but that's, that's got to be like some single digit statistics when you think about all the kids that start out playing T-ball, you know, when, when they're yay high that actually make it to, you know, get to play at that top level. Oh, uh, but he, I guarantee he had problems. I guarantee he had to say, mama, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do there. So as they get older, their problems get more intense. They get bigger. You know, and, and then after that, you got you got boys who have a, a concert due uh, and an album due and they're dad. I don't know. And, and you laugh at them because they didn't do the work in time, which is good. That's good fathership right there. So I've already heard what happens. Wilson. So, <laughs> But you think about it and, and then they get older, then they get married and they come to you with those problems. More intense, more major. Then they have kids and you laugh at them because you're like, hey, you got what you finally deserve. But I mean, they also. <laughs> But you also give advice because you care about them. And that's how God is with us, man. He doesn't care how small the thing is or how big and major it is. He wants it all brought to him because he can handle it all. And he cares enough to handle it all, right? All right, so let's jump into our non-intro sermon. Verse 1. The the, the whole chapter begins with this. It begins with a problem. Doesn't, Doesn't life begin with a problem? Doesn't every morning begin with some sort of a problem? I get up now, my back hurts every morning, knee hurts, you know, I wonder, was it worth it playing ball and all, all that kind of stuff, right? But, but it begins with, with problems. And, he, and here's the problem for us today. If you hadn't caught this, this is kind of like a seminary school. I don't know if you guys really catch what's going on in the, at least for me, you know, I'm, I'm going to paint the picture and have me a visual to go with every sermon, right? So, so you get this thing and, and it starts off in verse one. It says the sons of the prophets. So that's the seminary students. Elijah's teaching. He's a, he's a pastor, whatever you want to call him, right? And he's got all these people that are under him, that are growing up to, to learn this stuff. And he says this, man, you, you got to notice something, Elijah. The place that we've been living under your your supervision, like the, the school we've been coming to, the the church walls seem to be getting getting smaller. Look around the room. Tell me if this don't apply to us, right? It's too small for us now. So you got to pause. And you're like, man, there's a problem, but how awesome is this? Elijah's made such a significant impact on society at this moment but the seminary is too small. The church building is too small. The, the home that they're meeting in is too small. And he says this, and, and, and I guess maybe you could, I'll give you my question. I asked, are we making enough impact to cause an expansion? Are we making enough impact in the right way to cause an expansion? I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I kind of brag sometimes on how well you guys are doing and, and how awesome and some of the gatherings I bragged about last week with seeing, you know, 150 people stay up in church and eat and fellowship and hang out instead of rush away. And just spend time together. And, and, and there's always that. You know, you always, y'all know any negative people? I, I got a couple of religious negative people. I know y'all don't know about religious negative people, but I got a couple of them that I know. And I was, I was shit. I was bragging and I was talking on it and everything. And, and, and here's what they said. It wasn't, no, that's cool. What, no, that's awesome. It was, you know, the churches fill up when you start preaching the word of God. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, when you start giving itching ears, what itching ears want to hear, the seats start getting fuller. I said, well, maybe you should listen online because that ain't the reason we're getting full. But, but, but here's my point. Yeah, a lot of times that happens. But how awesome is it when you're making the right impact that we're filling up seats and we're filling up walls and we're expanding and Elijah's expanding this thing for the right reasons, for the power of God. I mean, look at what, look at what he's doing through this thing. The building they're meeting in, they've got so much 
but they're running out of room. So they tell the teacher, they said, man, we're going to go down to the Jordan because right by the river grow some good trees. They said, every single one of us, how many students must they have had? Think about what he says. If every single one of us go down there and cut down one tree and bring one bean back, we'll be able to build this thing. All, all, everybody's responsible for one bean. That's it. What could we build if we went down to Lowe's and every single one of you guys got a two by four? We could build the frame of a shed. That's about it. <laughs> How many guys must they must have had that everybody could go get one beam and it would have been enough to fill up and make this expansion? This is a massive group of guys, man. So the plan is, yeah, each one's going to go down there, cut his own beam for this for this expansion. The the, the first college dormitory for for seminary school is getting built right here. I guess you know, Mike. Think back when your days was the is that you had to build your own. No? Okay, well, this guy did. So Elijah says this. He says, man, it sounds like a great idea. Go. Church, hear me right now. Any pastor in his right mind, any spiritual leader in his right mind, if his people have a good idea, he's going to tell them, go. You want to know why you had stuff? Like last week, you want to know why why, 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 why over there starting to get cleared and then stuff's growing? You want to know why we got turkey shoes? You want to you want to know why you got you got churches that are that are clean? You want to know why you got food on a Wednesday night? None of it was ever my idea. I don't clean. I don't cook. I don't come up with cool ideas to do stuff. All right, I like oysters. So, <laughs> but, but but here's what you got to think about, man. It takes all of us collectively to come up with these ideas to make cool things happen. And, and I assure you, if you come up with a good biblical idea that makes sense, I'm going to tell you, go. Run with it. Cut down trees. Bring back beans. Let's build this thing. Let's get it done. And that's where Elijah is. He says, go do this thing, right? So the students, they all head down to the Jordan. You can kind of picture, I guess, one of them maybe pauses and looks back and he says, hey, Elijah, aren't you going to come with us? Because everybody wants your leader to come come with you, right? I wonder if they were, they were like, you know what? This guy's been a jerk in the classroom. Let's see if he'll cut down the tree and we'll see if he can actually still work. So anyway, he says, yeah, I'm coming. So he comes down with him. And, and, and here's like your first mini lesson, I guess, before we can get there. You got to do your part. So simple. You just got to do your part. You got you got to cut down your beam. You got to carry your beam, and you got to use your beam. Now we don't even get to them using the beam. I understand that, but nobody's going to go come up with this idea, go through all the work, cut it down, tote it all the way back, and then not do nothing with it. My goodness, if you've done that much work, let, let's go ahead and finish it out. You know what I'm saying? So, so I think they finished it out. I think they did exactly what they were supposed to to do. Right? Each student's doing his part. It kind of reminds me of like Nehemiah's wall. You know, everybody's responsible for your section. You build your wall. You build your thing. If you if you do your part. The whole job will get done. If you do your part, the whole job will get done. We can get God's kingdom the way it's supposed to be if each of us do our part. And then you got every story needs a good butt, right? So one one T, not two, right? Just one T. So so then you got this 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 butt of the story though, and it says, but one student was cutting down a tree, and his axe head flew off, and it fell into the Jordan River, and it sunk straight down to the bottom of this flowing water. Dang. Right. This young student, you can say it this way. This young student has lost his cutting edge. This young student has lost his effectiveness doing his job. So then, of course, you know, you got to answer a question, right? Have you lost your cutting edge? And being on fire for God. Have you lost your cutting edge and doing what God's called you to do? Have you lost your cutting edge and a passion and the things that God wants you to be accomplishing? And have you lost your effectiveness? Anybody ever tried to like cut down a tree with with like just an axe handle without an axe head on it? What what do you accomplish? 
Oh, yeah, you do. I can burn calories. I can get calluses on my hands. I can make a lot of noise. You accomplish a ton of stuff when you try to cut down a tree with a wooden handle without an axe head on it. But you know what you'll never accomplish? You will never cut down the tree. You may have a lot of dirt fall off. You may put a lot of dents into it. You may really mess it up more than be able to use it. Right? And that's kind of where this this guy is at right now. He's lost his effectiveness in doing the work. And I wonder how soon he realized that axe head flew off. I mean, you got a picture of the scene. Did he notice it as soon as he reared back and in the weight, the weight distribution chains? Did he come back down that one last time and hit the tree? And he's like, what the heck? You know, the, the, the chips of wood started stopped flying. Like what? What happened right here? What allowed him to realize it? Where were you the last time in your life where you had great strength, great vigor, great passion, great fire? You were swinging God's axe so much that ships were flying in all directions, knocking down tree after tree after tree in order to build the kingdom of God. Where were you at last when that happened? Now, think about it. because you, you got to put yourself in some of these shoes, right? Because you got to know where you were the last time you had that passion in order to get that passion back. And if we've lost our cutting edge for God, we need to ask God for help, right? This guy, he doesn't wait around at all. He instantly stops. So, so the very first point, I guess, if you want to get your cutting edge back, if you, if you guys want points, I guess, point number one, we got to admit that we've lost our cutting edge. Right? Think about it. If he hadn't admitted that he lost his cutting edge, what would he have accomplished? Nothing. The first step is admitting you got a problem. Look at verse five. Verse five, he says, as one of them was cutting down the tree, so we got this young guy, his iron axe head fell off into the water and he cried out. Master, I've lost my my axe head. And he even gets a little more intense, which we'll get to in a minute. And he tells us it, and it was borrowed. It wasn't even his own axe head that he lost. Right. Like he's lost somebody else's axe head right here. Like it's it, it's a bad, bad moment for him right now. Now, think, did he have to react that way? Absolutely not, man. Who knows how hot it was? First thing he could have done, I, I, I'm good at writing down excuses, right? So here's some excuses for, for what he could have did, right? He could have reacted in other ways. He could have been happy that his axe head fell off because that meant he could have stopped working. I swear my guys at the shop sometimes break stuff on purpose. I, I've, I've determined that. Like, I've figured it out. Like, it's not just the, that they want money to be spent for no reason. It's the fact that they don't want to do the job so they can break something, right? Oh, we can't do that anymore right and, and that's where we get sometimes so so maybe he could have had the excuse of well i can't work i don't i don't have the tool right maybe he could have got him a spot under the tree poured him a glass of iced tea and just watched other people work he didn't even have to advertise that the accent was gone he could have like walked off slowly calmly maybe it was a water break and just grabbed him a seat and watched other people work so are you content to just stop working are you content to just watch other people work or maybe here's another one. He could have been one of those people. That just, you ever met people who just refuse to admit they got a problem? What problem? I ain't got no problem. Right? And some of y'all know people like that because you're looking at people. But um, he could have, like I said it a minute ago, he could have just kept swinging the stick, uh, making a lot of noise, going through all the motions, accomplishing absolutely nothing. And then then he, didn't, he couldn't get a chainsaw, man. This is the Old Testament, right? And then to make matters worse, he realizes, oh man, it was borrowed. Like this was, and, and now you got to you got to picture what we've what we've talked about for generations. I hope you guys remember, you know, way back when we started going through scripture. For generations, we talked about there was uh, groups that were overtaking God's people, and they were taking away all the metal. Remember, because they didn't want them to be able to make weapons, they didn't want them to be able to make this stuff, so they had to depend depend on them to get that. 
So, so an iron axe head, man, that's valuable. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that wasn't just this cheap thing. It was expensive. This is, I guess you could say like eighth century BC or whatever right here. So, you know, a guy in seminary school, he ain't got much money. So he's got to go borrow the axe head. And if he didn't get to borrow the axe head, he couldn't have got to do the job. So maybe God's gifted you with something you could let somebody else use so they can get a job done. And, and I, I, it just got me thinking on this. And maybe this is going too spiritual with it. But have you ever thought about like your abilities, your resources, your talents are really just all borrowed from God? Right. I, I, I met a guy the, the, this morning at the gas station and, and, and we were talking and, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you're looking snazzy dressed up for church. And I tried to tell him he was looking snazzy, but he knew I was just joking because he wasn't dressed up for church. He was dressed up for work. And but, but he told me, he goes, I, I got to use what the Lord's blessed me with. And I could have went into man days of the week and all that kind of stuff with him and had that kind of conversation. But I was like, you know what? If the Lord's blessed you with a skill, you better use it for what he's told you to do with it. Right. I don't know if he's using his skill for the Lord or, or whatever, but just that phrase itself, he at least had an inclination inside that said, God's blessed me with an ability to do something. Right. So shouldn't I be using it for whatever that something is? So I wonder, do you realize your talents, your abilities, your 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 giftedness? God's blessed you with it for a reason. He set you up to use what you've got to put you in a location to accomplish great things for him. Now, that can be a job. That can be baseball. That can be anything. Right. So so, so think on that, man. I guess you could say our stuff's all on loan from God. Right. So you want you don't want to give it back without using it. If we've lost our cutting edge, first thing we got to do is admit it. Number two. Like this seminary student, we got to determine the exact spot where we lost our cutting edge. Man, Chris was so on point like 10 minutes ago, right? I said, what's the first thing you do? He said, I asked her where she had it last. Y'all ever lost something? Keys, hat, wallet, money, ring, piece of paper that goes to a toy that doesn't matter. Uh, you know, any of that stuff. What's the first time somebody, what's the first thing somebody asks you when you ask them? Where'd you have it at last? Well, if I knew where I had it at last, I wouldn't have lost it. Right? But you've got to ask that question because you've got to start thinking, where did I have it last? And anytime somebody asks you that question, why it may make you mad, you may not like it. What's the, what's actually going through your brain? You're walking through where you had it last. You know, you might even start to walk through your house. Well, I came in here with it. Then I came in here with it. And what eventually sometimes happens? Hopefully you see it. You get this spot. You're like, oh, there it is. You know, look, it, it worked walking through and figuring out. So, so like I said a minute ago, where? Where did you last have the greatest passion you've ever had for God? Where was the last time you had the greatest fire for the Lord? Verse 6, he said, where did it fall? Where were you the last time you had this fire for Yahweh, right? From personal experience, you know, the best thing you can do is just figure out where you were the last time. Sure, you can tell, man, the student didn't plan on losing his edge. Nobody plans on losing anything, right? Nobody plans on losing their passion for God or any of that stuff. Remember Peter in the New Testament? God's sitting down with his disciples and he tells them, one of you guys are, are going to betray me. And by the end of it, all you guys will have, have left me and denied me. And, and Peter's quick to say what? No, it ain't never going to be me, God. The rest of these losers may, you know, may mess up, but it ain't going to be me. Right? What, what's he do just like, I think it's like two chapters later, not even that. He denies God three times, the rooster crows and, and, and all that, right? Why did we lose? Maybe we should ask why we've lost our cutting edge. Is it because we, we, our priorities change? Because our responsibilities change? Is it because our, our perception of things has, has changed? Is it because you quit studying the Bible because you didn't think it was important? Is it because you quit hanging out with church folks because you, you didn't like them anymore? 
Is it because you, you got angry with somebody or jealous with somebody? Is, is it because you lost your cutting edge because you stopped praying? You stopped reading God's word on a regular basis? Did you lose your cutting edge because of some personal sin that's got into your life? Like, let your brain get going, man. You got to know what it was that made you lose it because if you don't know what made you lose it, you're never going to be able to address it. Have you lost your cutting edge because God, you know, you weren't giving him a, a portion of those talents and resources that we just talked about? Man, I think this guy's got great courage, man, because he looks at his, 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 his stick that he's holding and he's like, I, I don't have access. I got to address this, this issue. And I, and I got to go talk to the one who can, who can help me, right? So he takes a serious look, just like we need to take a serious look at our, our spiritual life and discover why we've lost what we've lost. And then number three, which I love, he had to do his own part in recovering his cutting edge, right? So, so you get to this, this last little, bit of the two verses right here at the beginning of this chapter. And the first thing you got to realize, Elijah is not a magician. All right? He's a prophet of God. He's not doing this on his own. He doesn't have his own power to perform his own miracles. He's doing this because he's got the power of God, right? So so when you're working for the kingdom of God, understand this. One, there'll always be difficulties. Axe heads are always going to be flying off. But two, you're working with the power of God, which surpasses all, all that other stuff, right? So, so he looks to God for supernatural wisdom difficulties. So I guess you could say the first part you got to do when you're doing your own part is to make sure you go to the right source. You go to the wrong source, that leads to more problems. Uh, you go to the right source, you, you can address the problem, right? And, and the second part I love right here, man, and then i got to stop, is that if you look at this, then therefore if this miracle is not Elijah's miracle, it's God's miracle, then it's not just that Elijah cares for this seminary student, it's telling us that God cares for this seminary student. So God is sitting there and he's looking at all these guys working, Everybody getting stuff done, but he keys in on one guy who's got one problem. This is for those of us that always think like our one problem is too insignificant for God. This is for those of us to think like our one little thing doesn't matter to God because he's got too. You ever heard somebody tell you like God's got too much going on? I, I've literally you think I'm laughing. I've literally heard people tell me when I ask them, have you have you prayed about it? Have you thought about it? And they say, oh, God's too busy for that kind of problem. I think you're missing it, man. Like you're totally missing that God cares about every detail of your life, no matter how major, how minor, how big and how small. Like he wants to hear about it. God is deeply, you can say it this way, God is deeply concerned about the individual. You're the individual. That don't make you feel great, right? Like everything else going on, God is deeply concerned about you. What, what did Jesus teach with some of his illustrations? You got the lost sheep, you got the lost coin, you got the parable of the lost son, which I love, by the way, I was, I was reading over those, you know, I get on sidetracks just like I do when I preach when I study so I was reading over those and I and I got to that one on the lost son and I was like man that dad was like so cool because like he never got in a rush for anything you want your inheritance here it is you splunder it here you go he never gets in a rush until like the very end of what happens his son's coming back remember and, and then he what it says that he he ran down the driveway to meet him right so he never gets in a rush until his son has made the right call to come on back. Is that not God with us sometime? You want to be an idiot? Here, be an idiot. You need to learn the hard way? Here, learn the hard way. Right? But when you're ready to start making just the first step back toward me and I see you at the end of the driveway, I'm going to sprint all the way down to you. Right? That, that's awesomeness, right? So God's concerned about the interval. Second thing about God we see. So I guess you could say you and I are very valuable to God. Second thing we see is there's no problem too small for God. Right? We said, we said it. God can handle all of it. Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Whatever your problem, whatever your concern is today, God cares about it. Even if it's just a little axe head that fell off. Even if it's a loan you borrow from somebody else, right? 
And I love what God does here. Look at verse 6 again. We're going to make it past verse 6, I promise, right? But at 6 it says, man, well, where did it fall? So the guy is honest and he shows him. He goes, oh, I remember where I lost it. It was, it was right here. And it fell into that nasty water right there. And it says the man of God then cut a piece of wood and threw it in there and he made the iron head float. Now, a lot of times when something like this is in there, you can look at that word wood and you think of what? What do you think of? Oh, the cross, cross, yes. Yeah, so, right. You think of the cross. What, what, what does the cross do? It makes us rise, right? So think about it. His, his problem has sunk to the water. He, he throws this wood in there. Just a little bit of extra symbolism, right? But, but here's what I love. Like God has made it float, but God doesn't make it float all the way over to him. Like if I was writing this, you know, I'd, I'd have been like Marvel. This would have been like Thor's hammer. Right, Axe would have flew up and it was all the way across and, and he would have caught it. He would have been the only guy that could catch it, the only guy that could pick it up because it was his axe head, right? Not so with God. God says, I'm going to make it float to the top of the water. Then I'm going to have my servant walk over there and point to it and be like, is that your axe head? And you're going to have to say yes, and then you're going to have to go get it yourself. Why? Because God wants you to be part of your solution. Right? Now, you're not the solution. Please don't misunderstand that, right? There's an order to this thing. But God wants you to be part of the solution. You got to be part of getting your edge back. You got to be part of getting your fire back. You got to be part of finding out what God wants you to do. You got to be part of realizing, hey man, God's gifted me with this. I'm going to use it for him. And if you're not going to be part of it, guess what may never happen? Whatever that thing is, right? Elijah had the power to make this happen, yet God wanted the man to be involved in his own recovery. God wanted him to reach out, him to recover the accent himself. God did the part God could do, but he left the part the man could do to the man. Right? Now, I think some of us, we were missing that. God's done his part. He's even floated it right in front of us. And he said, grab it. And you and I aren't grabbing it. We aren't taking it. And we're not grabbing it. We're not taking it. We're missing out because of it. Right? I, I, no, we don't get the end of the story, right? We get, we get verse 7 where, where he picks it up and, and he takes it. But how quickly do you think he ran over there, put that thing back on that wood, and started cutting down trees again? I bet he cut down two trees. You know what I'm saying? Like only one was required, but I think he went the extra mile. Why? Because when people were looking at him and they're like, man, what are you? This is, this is not in the Bible. Okay. So don't think this is what happened. Don't leave here thinking, man, I didn't know verses 7.5, 6, and 0.7 were in there. They're not. They're not. This is just me. I'm like, man, do you know how on fire he had to be when he had a miracle from God in his hand and he went back to work with it and he started cutting down the second tree and the guys were like, man, what are you doing? He's like, God done gave me a miracle, man. I'm going to town with it, right? He probably cut down his friend's tree and his other friend's tree and, and the old guy's tree that couldn't cut down trees. and He just went crazy with it, I believe. Right? Why? Because he saw the miracle that God had. And he not just saw it. You and I can see miracles all the day. But he claimed it and he grabbed it and he ran with it. If you and I do nothing more than see miracles, talk about miracles, get amazed by miracles, we miss out. But when you grab the miracle and you run with the miracle... Oh, man, the things that can happen, right? Be honest with yourself this morning. Take some serious looks this morning. I know we're kind of going through the first couple of verses kind of quick, but but what is it that you're missing for what you're supposed to be doing? Or maybe you just got the wrong attitude altogether. You've lived in this world so long, you've adopted the world's attitude of what can the church do for me? You know, uh, uh, Kennedy had this speech that said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what can you do for your country? Our, our world today doesn't have that mindset. We've got a mindset of, oh, what can the government do for me? 
When do I get my next stimulus check? When do I get this next thing? When, when are they going to hand this out? When are they going to provide this? When are they going to provide it? The minute you get off your lazy button working, go get it. Right? Can we just be honest about it? You want something, go get it. Stop waiting on somebody to hand it to you, man. It's the same thing with spiritual. We talk about our spiritual fire. Man, I, I got to get that fire going. I got to rekindle the flame. Then you better go chop down some wood. You better light a match. And you better start blowing on it and let that thing flame up. Right? You want what somebody else got. You got to do what somebody else is doing. All right? If you're not going to do what they're doing, you ain't going to get what they got. I like that. That's pretty good right there. You know what I'm saying? If I was on this fancy preacher, I'd say, you should write this down. Right? <laughs> Here, here's the thing we do at church, though, right? We look at church, and, and here's our mindset if we're honest, right? We look at churches, we visit churches, we sample churches, and we're like, what, what can I get out of this church? What can this church do for me? What, what program do they have that fits me? You, you, you want to know, you want to know, all kidding aside, this is it. Again, this isn't me at all. So like, this is bragging on you guys. You want to know why we have successful things that happen and when they're not there, then they happen later? It's because you, you guys came, you guys looked for, for what could maybe have been for you, and you're like, hey, it's not here. And rather than leave and run away because you needed to go find somebody who's going to do it, you came up with the idea of, hey, I can start it there. Imagine that. But see, it's not unbiblical that churches have these things. As a matter of fact, churches ought to be having these things. The unbiblical part is when we're not the one doing these things. When we rely on a staff or a paid position to do this thing. I've studied a lot of scripture. I don't see many paid positions in scripture where there's a paid staff that does this and does that and organizes this and organizes that. I see people that got an idea, got on fire, got prevailed, people allowed it to happen, and boom, it went with it. Kind of like what I see at our church. Right? I mean, think about it. We didn't have some of the stuff we've had for years. Now we're getting them. Right? Why? Because you guys got an idea and you're running with it. That's what it's supposed to be about. Okay? Man, I had that written better in my notes, but that sounded good the way it went. So let's just roll with it, right? Go back to the, go back to the to begin this thing before we get to the next section. What started this whole thing? They had a desire to build. So you, so you could say it this way. Don't let the river take what you pursued God for. They were pursuing God for this. This was their idea. This was their passion. They noticed this problem and they addressed it and they went for it with the solution. And something tried to take it away. Something's always going to try to take away whatever you're pursuing. Negative thought, negative attitude, a bad number turnout, an expensive call, whatever it ends up being. Don't let the river, don't let whatever the thing is, take away what you've been pursuing God for. And, and the crazy part, I, I don't even want to go into this, but but the young student, because I love this whole section, I love all the illustrations there, I love the symbolism that's connected there. This, this young student could have avoided all these problems if he had just checked his acts occasionally. You could avoid a lot of your problems if you just did some spiritual maintenance. You know what I'm saying? Pull the old girl in the garage, check some stuff out, and fix what it is before it turns into a major issue. Add some fluid before you tear up the whole thing, right? If he'd have just checked his axe, it'd have been an easy, quick repair, right? That thing was probably loose for a while. What I loved, anybody know how they tightened axes back in the day? And if you, you older guys, wise guys, you, you hammered the wedge, but, but you know what they did after they hammered it on real tight? Soaked it in water. Man, I didn't know you were that old, Dad. Good job. Right? No screws, no glue. We will soak it in water. Why, caveman? Because water swells wood. Right? <laughs> but that's what they would do. They would take this axe head, beat it on as far as they could, put it in this, in this, in this jug of water, and let it soak until the wood swell up. You know, I'm kind of big on symbolism. So what, what does the word say this is? The living 
Oh, what would happen if you would soak your head in here? <laughs> Think about it because it's a cool transition. All kidding aside, what happens? It swells up, right? You, you swell up because, but are you swelling for the right reason? Now I'm not talking about eating cheeseburgers and swelling up that way, right? I'm talking about swelling up because you soaked in this water, right? Think about this. This is a good transition. You guys just heard Marty read the whole chapter, right? The next section, we're going to have a problem. Why? Because somebody's got a little teeny head. I picture like the Beetlejuice head right here. I don't know if you guys can stay with me for this, but at least try to because it's with me, right? So you've got like a Beetlejuice head, and then you've got like this big old head that's swollen up. This is Elijah. Big swollen head because he's soaked up in the Word of God. Then you got, y'all are not liking this. It's okay. I'm going to run with it because I've thought about it in my head. So then you got Beetlejuice head, like really tiny head, right? Why? Because he's not soaked in the water. He's not, all right, I'm going to leave over that. Never mind. You guys are killing me. So here's, here it is. Here it is. So now we're going from big to small, from small to big. Now we've got a big problem, eight through 14. Oh, we're still, we're still ready to roll right here, right? Yeah. All right. Spiritual inventory. Fix your axe on time. I have no idea where I'm at, so I'm just rolling to verse 8. 8 through 14. Here's what happens. First, you got to understand the characters in this last part. You got Elijah. You got, uh, Jerem, the king of Israel. You got Benadad, the king of Syria. And then you got Elijah's servant, right? So, so here's some background, 8 through 14. Benadad's been making war against Israel. And the way he's doing it is he sets up these camps and little secret areas where he can attack them. All right. So he's got this plan. He's like, oh, we can. If we build a camp here, then we can invade them easily, you know, the next day or whatever. Well, as soon as he sets up a camp, somehow, mysteriously, the Israelites find out about it, so they move, and they get away. Well, this goes on for a little bit of time, and, and we know on the inside, because we've read the verses, right, that God has been revealing to Elijah what's happening. God says, Elijah, they're, they're coming from this side. You guys need to move. So Elijah tells the king, hey, they're coming from this side. We we need to move, right? So so this guy, it's like they got their playbook, right? So God has given Elijah the playbook. For the enemy right here. And Benadad gets so mad about this thing. And, and he tells me, he goes, one of you guys are spying on me. You, you ever notice when things start going around, you start blaming other people? Sometimes those closest to you. Think, think about what he's saying. He's like, he's like, somebody, somebody in here has been like telling everybody what's been going on. He even says my own bedroom, right? Like you, he's been listening to your bedroom talk, right? That, that's a secret, intimate kind of level right there, right? So, so Benadad, he gets mad at his servants and all this. And his servants confess. They say, man, it's, it's not us. It's Elijah. Elijah's been doing this. And I don't know how dumb you got to be. Stay with me now. I don't know if you caught this part of, of this chapter. So for like six verses, this guy's been setting up a camp, ready to attack. They get away. Setting up a camp, ready to attack. They get away. So then this guy has the bright idea. Oh, it's Elijah. Well, then we'll just go get him. If that's the guy that's so in tune with God that he knows exactly when you're coming, what makes you think you can get him? To, to me, I'm just thinking Benadab's a moron, right? Like, you got to think of a different plan if, if that hasn't been working the whole time. But he doesn't. So he makes this plan, and then they seek out to get Elijah, and, and they do. You get, get through verse 14, and you get to verse 15, and, and they've surrounded Elijah. They've got him. They're like, yes, we've surrounded his shack. You know, it's a, I almost picture like, like how, how bad did Elijah have to be that a whole army, you know what I'm saying? Like a whole army had to surround his little shack. That not a couple chapters ago, he was looking out the window of, you know, sending a servant to go talk to another king. Right. So he sends his servant out again. Maybe I don't know. We just know in verse 15, it says early in the morning, Elijah's servant woke up and he went outside. Then he noticed they were surrounded 
and he shouts. What, what does he shout in verse 15? When the servant of the man of God got up early and he went out and he discovered his army with the horses and the chariots surrounding the city. And he said to Elijah, oh, my master, what are we going to do? He had a Beetlejuice head. He had a Beetlejuice head. I'm telling you right now, he had a Beetlejuice head. Here's why he had a Beetlejuice head. His head was so small because it wasn't swollen with the word of God and he forgot the promises of God. And because he forgot the promises of God, all he could see was his enemies around him. He saw the danger and not the deliverance. Right? And, and, and it goes on. And we're going to come back to it. But Elijah then looks at him and says, man, stop stop being afraid. Like, we, we outnumber them. What are you so worried about? Now, then you got to pause. Like, if you're the servant, you're wondering, like, was he buying a bag of grass that Dad was talking about earlier? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, did he, did he buy like a bag of grass from the guy on the corner that had it laced with something else that really messed up what's going on inside his head? Cause you're looking outside and you're surrounded by chariots and, and horses and, and all these men ready for battle. And you go back and tell your guy, Hey man, it, it ain't looking good out there. And just you and him chilling. And he looks out and says, Oh man, I don't know what you're worried about. Like we outnumber them by a long shot. Two hundreds, thousands, who knows how many, right? Like what? What is the deal? Like, did, 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 did something like really mess you up, right? And he tells me, he goes, fear not for we are more than they are. And you got to ask yourself, how was he able to say that when he looked outside and saw the army surrounding him? Because he had a swollen up head. He had a swollen, he had soaked his head in the bucket of water, of living water. And it had swollen up his head with God's knowledge, right? And you got to, I want you to understand, like, he soaked with the right thing. I don't want you leaving this morning thinking, oh, Elijah was an optimist. We just need to be optimistic. You can be optimistic about some dumb things. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just call it like it is. Right? You can be optimistic all you want, but if you jump off the roof, gravity is going to take you down. You is not going to fly. Okay? Elijah, though, Elijah is not just an optimist. He understands what Scripture has told him this whole time. And he doesn't even miss a beat on trying to explain it. Look at what he says in verse 17. Then Elijah just went into prayer time. You know, when you're with your one buddy and you're all about to take on an army and your one buddy has some doubts and you're by yourself, you should start praying. That's like a free lesson for you. Verse 17. Then Elijah prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. You know what I've been praying since like Thursday? I ain't gonna lie. I'm just gonna tell you like what it is. Right? I've been praying God would just open eyes. I'm dead serious, man. Like I, I, I read, I read that thing. You know, obviously I read that thing since last Sunday, but something hit me like Thursday. And if y'all don't know my schedule, like Monday, Monday through Wednesday morning, I'm kind of like reading to Matthew because that's where the men are on Wednesday. You know, and then 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 post post Wednesday night, sometime Wednesday night when I get home, or sometime Thursday morning, I'm all back into into Kings again, right? And, and that thing hit me Thursday like a ton of bricks, and I, I just broke into prayer like God, please start opening opening eyes of people who ain't seeing expand, swell up some heads and get rid of the Beetlejuice heads. Y'all think I'm kidding. Like, that's the way I pray to God. Like, y'all think I'm just talking crazy to y'all. Like, I've been talking crazy with the Lord. Maybe that's like part of our problem, but we're going to address it later, I guess. Right. Lord, please open our eyes and let let open our eyes for what? So they can see. And then it says this. You got to love when God answers a prayer immediately. Right. It says to so the Lord, open the servant's eyes. And he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots and fire all around Elijah. You got to love that, right? Because they got horses and they got chariots. They ain't got no fire. Did you catch like God had to add one more thing to what the servant saw, right? Did y'all catch that? Like he's out there and he's like, oh man, they got horses. They got, they got chariots. They got men like we are in trouble. 
And then he opens his eyes and he's like, oh, we got horses, we got chariots, so that matches up, that matches up. Like he's he's developing a battle plan, and he's like, that guy, take that guy, and that guy. And he's like, ooh, and we got fire. Like a caveman, right? Like he's excited about that fire again. Yes, right? Have you ever felt like that servant? I'm trying not to go into this thing way too fast. I'm already so ahead, but but you got to back. Have you ever felt like the servant? Like think about, I know you have, and if you don't admit it, that's all right. But like think about the last time you felt trapped by your fears. Where there was no way out, like like family emergency, school in the future, paying a bill, job, layoff, gas prices, whatever it was. I don't care. But God cares. However big, however small. When was the last time you felt like there was no way out and the only thing you could do was pray? And, and the next time you feel like that, I thought that feeling's going to come again. Now, you're not going to hear me every time. Oh, you just come to church every Sunday. Life will be glorious. No. Life's going to suck. The disciples all died, okay? Miserable, death, except for one, which he only survived because he had a miserable torture that took place before. But anyway, that's a whole other study in itself, too. But think about this. Here's all I want you to pray. God, open my eyes to see this thing your way. Open my eyes to see this thing your way. Elijah's servant and a lot of us, we, we've got vision problems because we're looking with worldly eyes instead of spiritual eyes. We had not been swollen up with the right thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's so important because you can get swollen up on all this optimism and feel good and emotion and all that stuff. And you can walk out there and the devil's just going to take a needle and poke you in the forehead. And then you have a Beetlejuice head, too, because your head was full of air and not nothing valuable. Right. But if your head is swollen on the right thing, you get the right thing. All right. So so, so he, he can see the danger, but not the deliverance. The clearer sight we have of the power of the kingdom, the less likely the troubles of this earth will bother us. What are you really Seeing what eyes are you really looking with, right? I, I, I wasn't going to share this one because I think it sounds ridiculous, but like it's still on my notes, so I'm going to go with it, right? Stop doubting God and doubt your doubts. I don't even know exactly what that means all the way, but like I, that, that's, that's kind of like the thoughts that just popped to me, right? Stop doubting God and start doubting your doubts. Can you doubt your doubts? I don't know. But you should start doubting them because they're not true, right? They're, they're made up stuff, huh? Elijah's servant, he's gazing, gazing so intently on the Syrian army that he doesn't even see the chariots of fire, you know, that, that, that are all around. Like, that's that's that big thing, right? And I wonder so many times if, like like the servant, you and I were concentrated so much on obstacles and problems that we see in front of us that we totally miss the power of God that's all around us. Elijah lived, you put it this way, Elijah lived in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, you see things God's way, Right? There's, listen at the way he responds, man. Like, I, I would love to have been there. Like, for more than one reason. Just just this conversation, though. This one guy comes running in, screaming. You can picture his voice. He's screaming. He's worried. He's scared. Like, like, and he's realistically got these things, okay? I'm not saying those things aren't realistic. And then Elijah, like, I don't picture any terror, any panic. I picture him being calm, having courage, and having confidence and just saying, man, Stop being afraid. Like, we all number them. What? What are you talking about? Like, we don't get the whole conversation, but how much more did that guy respond, right? Paul echoed, like, the same thing when he wrote to the, to the Christians in Rome. And, and, and you, you can assume, we don't know exactly what problems as far as all of them, but you can assume they were having problems because Paul's responding to, to some questions and some, and some letters that they had written him, which is most of the time what goes on. I hope you guys know that when you read Paul's letters, like, their responses to, to what's happened. Paul didn't just randomly think of ideas to write to the, to the church. He's trying to address issues, right? So, so, so evidently Rome was having a problem. And in the book of Romans, it says, if God is for you, who can be against you? 
And if money is against you, what does it matter? You know, that's what David realized. Psalm 27, verse 1. He's sitting there and he's, and he, and he's in his cave and he's writing. He's like, man, if, if God can be for me, who cares who's against me? All right? Like, like it doesn't even matter who's against me as long as God is on my side. When you feel all alone, lift up your eyes and look to see if you see the chariots of fire, right? Here's, here's the sad lesson we get, though. Elijah's servant stands as proof that God's own people don't practice what they believe. This was one of his servants. This was probably one of the guys who had been in seminary school with him, under him. This may have been one of the guys who chopped down beans, who had saw miracles after miracle after miracle after miracle, right? He had a belief, but when it came to a practical test, he didn't, he didn't apply it. How many of you run up in here, get a bunch of beliefs, a bunch of head knowledge, but then when you walk outside and a real problem pops you square between the eye, you don't apply it. What do you say? Oh, Lord, what shall we do? Right? You, you could ask yourself this way. Maybe write this one down for later. Will your beliefs pass the test? Because there's going to be tests outside. Will your beliefs really pass them, right? If you believe you're a child of God, act like a child of God. Don't believe you're a child of God and then think, man, my business, my health, my financial status, all that, all, all those things cause fear to overtake you. Learn to realize God's presence is with you. That's what, that's what Elijah did. When we are blind to God's presence, we're blind to God's protection. That, that's kind of the problem. If, if we miss the fact that we're in the presence of God, we, we miss the fact that his protection's around us. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him and delivers them. That, that and's so important because it, it don't do me no good if I just know there's angels all around me, right? Like that ain't helping me none, I hate to tell you. Y'all, y'all got like these pictures of angels and y'all, oh, angels are floating all around. That don't do nothing for me. Because if that angel don't come down and kick some Satan hiney, it, it ain't accomplishing nothing for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't get the cool picture and, and it ain't doing nothing for me just to know there's an angel floating around or whatever. Like, right? I need to know he's going to come on down and take care of business. I don't want to just know he's there. I want to know he's going to solve the problem that's at hand, right? It don't do you no good to know like your dad is there unless your dad's going to solve the problem, right? You, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that's how it is right there. We miss God's presence. We miss God's provision. What's God's provision here? His provision is the deliverance. He's about to deliver them from, from where they're at, right? Spiritually blind people don't realize the power that's available to them. Let, let, let's get honest. This prayer, right, that we need, we need to be praying is the same prayer. I, lo- I love Mark chapter 9. I don't know if you guys ever, you know, really studied Mark chapter 9, but in Mark chapter 9, there's a daddy, and he's got an issue with one of his kids. And, and maybe I love it because, like, that's, that's my breaking point. Everybody knows it, right? I've admitted it. Like, my, my babies, mm, like, that's, that's the spot that gets me. This guy in Mark chapter 9, like, he, he's got faith. He does, because he goes to Jesus. But in verse 24, I think it is, I don't know, maybe 24, maybe not. Yeah, it is 24. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You, you know what this daddy's saying? He's ran out to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, like, I know you done did all these miracles and, and like you've been doing this cool stuff and I've been hearing about you and all that. Like, I, like, I believe that part, God. I really do. But, but now that it's personal, now that it's real, now that it's hitting me square, square between my eyes, I need you to help the areas I have doubt. You know what happens after that? What happens? The boy delivers. Or the boy gets well. God delivers. You threw me off. <laughs> God delivers and the boy gets, the boy gets up, right? Why? Because of his honesty. God's not asking you to be nobody you're not. God's asking you to be honest. 
He's honest. He says, God, like I, I want to believe, but, but it's my boy who's laying over there with a serious injury. You know, there, there's been times in, in, in ministry where, like, I'll know a family or, or a mama or a daddy or a husband or a wife is going through something, and, and I won't even ask the significant other to pray with me because I know the doubt and the fear they got to have. Like, I'll just go off on my own and pray about it because I'm not, I'm not in the same situation they're in. Like, I can respect, like, emotion, human feelings, all that stuff does play a part in our walk on this earth. But, but like this daddy right here, God, just, just fill in the gaps where I'm missing them. Could you imagine having that kind of faith, man? I challenge you to say that kind of thing to God. I challenge you to tell him, like, man, I, I'm here, but there's little things I'm not getting that, that I think you can fill in the gaps on. There's, there's little understandings that, that, that I don't know. I think I've been corrupted here, so I need you to, to help me here. I think I'm missing it here, so I need you to help me here, right? God cares whether it's big or whether it's small. And when I think about that daddy with that little boy, I have to think about him being our father. And how much scripture tells us that our daddy loves us. Psalm, Psalm 103, David, right? Talking about how high God's love is. Here's what he says in Psalm 103. He says, that, uh, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great God's love is for us. As far as the sky and the stars are, that's how far his love reaches for us. I told you I got off on tangents, so y'all get the tangents too, right? You ever went outside and just looked at the stars? I love, like, I think it was the beginning of last week. The rain had finally gone away for a little while, and it was a full moon. And, and like the sky was just gorgeous. I mean, it was just beautiful, right? And, and you can see, if y- y'all ain't never seen it, y'all need to get further in the country or start throwing rocks at your streetlights so that they get darker. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that at all. Like make it dark so that you can see the light. Sometimes it's got to get dark for you to see the light. That's a whole other message, right? But but if you look at the stars, it, it got me. It got me. I got my little tablet. The men pickle me on Wednesdays. I'm getting high tech, right? But but I got my tablet. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the stars. And here's what I look up. Light travels at a hundred, this blows my mind. I had to check it twice because I didn't think it was right. Crystal checked it again this morning because I was like, there's no way that's accurate. 186,282.2 miles per second. I wrote it down the first time and I crossed it out. And I was like, man, I can't believe I wrote that wrong. Like it's miles per hour. So I asked Crystal this morning, I was like, babe, can you Google on on your own? Like I don't want you on my device. You get on your device because my device is corrupted. And I want you to check it out yourself and tell me, what is the speed of light? And she tells me 186,000 something miles per second. And I'm like, I had it right. It's crazy. That's fast. That's moving. So if you take that, that's, watch this now, this is cool. By the time you do that, light has circled the globe six times. Go right there. Woo, what? There should be more woos. We're going to get a couple more. Hold on. When I take a tangent, I take a tangent. I'm telling you right now, right? So in one minute, so you got a snap, you got six times around the earth. But in one minute, light travels 11 million miles. Whoo! That should have been a woo. That was an opportunity. I'm going to give you more. It takes eight minutes for light to get from the sun to the planet. Here's what that means. When you walk outside this door and you feel the first beam of, of heat hit you, that left or that left the sun eight minutes ago. And now you're getting some moves, right? In one day, light travels 160 billion miles. Here comes the last one. Give me time to say this number because I'm not smart, right? In one, <laughs> in one year, had to count my commas. <laughs> in one year, light travels 
5,865,696,000,000 miles. All right, I'll stop now. You got it, right? So if you're, if you're understanding the speed of light now, right? You go back to, you go back to what David said. Now, David didn't know, what would that be like? Astrophysics? He didn't know astrophysics. He's sitting in the field, most likely, tending to his sheep, and, and he's writing about how, like, man, God's love is from here all the way to those stars that seem so far away, right? The outer edge of the universe, according to, to astrophysics, is 15.5 billion light years away. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of like Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 right now. I don't, I don't know if you guys know. Like, Paul's writing this letter in Ephesians 3. is great. Like, Paul is me in Ephesians 3. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he gets to chapter 3, and he starts describing how awesome God is, right? Like, his love, which I'm about to get to, because that's what I want us to get to at this end, that God gave through for, for the, what happens with this enemy, right? He's writing about God's love and, and how awesome God's love is. In the middle of chapter 3, he just stops, and he goes, I, I need to pray. So he, he like he's writing a letter, but he just stops and starts praying, and he says, I can't describe how awesome the love of God is. Like, that's where I'm at right now. Like, when I think David said, as far as the heavens are above the earth, the first level of the stars and all that stuff is God's love for us. And then I read this thing right here that I had no idea. I can't fathom 15.5 billion light years away. Like, that, that's incomprehensible to me, right? It's unimaginable. That's the measure of God's love for me, though, is what David says. Boy, if you leave here today not feeling loved, I'm going to slap you in the head when you walk outside. Like, I'm going to slap some love into you. Tough love happens, right? Huh? Man, I'm, I'm telling you, man, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're just going to stand up. You give me a hug or you get a hand, a clip in the back of the head by a clip. Like, that's how it's going to roll right there, right? <laughs> that, did I not blow y'all's mind like with the number? That's all. That's huge, man. That's God's love for us, though. But, but Paul and, and later, uh, I didn't even know we were going to Ephesians 5. So in Ephesians 5, <laughs> forgot about this. He sets up this contrast. Now, you, you've heard this before. Ephesians 5, verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. And, and like, I don't know, it's always been like a weird, a weird comparison for me when I'm thinking like, he's supposed to be this spiritual person. And he's talking about like alcohol mixing with being drunk on this. Like, what, what's he really getting at? That's something I would do. Like, I expect more of Paul. Like, that would be an illustration I would come up with, right? He, here's why. Both are ways to deal with your problems. Am I right? You ever had a problem? So, well, don't raise your hand because people think less of you because you're in a holy area or something, right? You, you, ever, you ever been like in an area, though, where like you had this big problem you couldn't address, so you, you just start drinking it away? That, that's one way of dealing with a problem, right? Why? Because alcohol blurs the perception of reality. That, that, that's what it does. It drowns out your fear and your sorrows. Why? Because it dulls your pain. That, that's what alcohol does, right? So then you think, man, the spirit... Well, the spirit does the exact opposite, right? The spirit doesn't blow your sense of reality. He expands your sense of reality. Like it, it, you could almost say like the servant was drunk because he walked outside and saw the problem, but, but, but he didn't see the armies. And if you get, you get filled on the spirit, then you see the armies fighting around you and how much greater they are than, than the army fighting against you, right? This, this little detail, man, got, how God works sometimes, man. I got to go back to verse 10. I was going to skip it, but I can't. I'm still going to be good in five minutes, I promise, right? So you go back to verse 10. And, and this, this, this vision that, that takes place, where is it at? I can only go in five minutes if you read the, read the verse real fast. Everybody's like, I don't know, where does it take place, Pastor? 
You got a cheat sheet right in front of you at your Bible. You go to line number 10. You get a D-O-T-H-A-N. Dothan. I don't know how to say it. Right? So you, you got this place. So, that's right. so, so you and I, what do we think about that place? Be honest. Same thing I thought. What is it? Whoopty freaking do. I, I, I told you to be honest, right? That place means nothing to me. Right? Do you know what the Jewish people would have knew about this? Remember, who's he talking to, right? Where are they at? They're around people who would know this stuff. So you and I, it's for us. Well, we got to dig a little deeper because we weren't there in the history, right? It, it, so if you go to Genesis 37, 17, you don't have to do it. I'm just going to tell you what happens, right? This is the same area that Joseph gets thrown into a pit. Oh, oh yeah, like a wow moment, but it's an oh moment, right? In that pit, Joseph prays. What does he pray? God, please deliver me. Anybody in the pit, we're going to pray what? God, get me out of the pit. Does God answer him? Does he answer him the way he wants to be answered? No. Right? What happens? Slavery. Right? You guys don't know it. Just follow the 12 year old. He'll lead you away, right? Yes, but God does answer his prayer, but God doesn't answer his prayer he wants. And I wonder how often God does that with us. Like we pray and God's got to answer, but it's not the way we wanted it to be, right? So, so, so he's here and, 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 and he prays this thing and God says, nah, I'm going to answer it, but not, I'm going to get you out of the pit, but when you come out of the pit, it's going to be because you're going into slavery. And then I'm going to get you into Egypt. And I'm going to I'm going to kind of paint this good picture for you where things are looking great. And then part of her wife's going to screw that up for you. Right. And, and, and he's got all this going. In. Then he gets in, in prison. I wonder when he sat in prison. If he was like, it'd be better to stay in the pit. Right. I mean, now he's with a bunch of smelly other dudes instead of just being by himself. Right. So. So here's what God does, though. By doing it God's way, he gets Joseph to a place where he can rescue himself, his family and the people of God. If he would got him out the pit. And he'd never been sold to slavery and then got into the house with, with the king and Potiphar's wife and then in the prison. And, and if he'd have done it, if he'd have done it the way Joseph wanted it done and the time frame Joseph wanted it done, he would have saved himself and nobody else. We, we sometimes, you know, those numbers blew our mind. Like we just can't see the chariots all around us and what God's working out. We can't hear the rumble of the horses on our side of the army and what God is really accomplishing sometimes. Right. God has to do it his way because his ways are greater than our ways. God is always fighting for you, even when you don't hear the chariots and see the footprints. Right. So that was all for the guy who was a believer, but blind. I forgot to say that in the beginning. So that was everything just now is believer who is blind. Servant. Right. Last part, the blindness of unbelievers. Now, I, I do want to point this out. I'm not going to go into it since we're for the second time. Right. I believe these guys weren't blinded, by the way, like you and I think of blind. OK. And, and I can prove it. If you were completely blind and could not see at all, and somebody said, no, keep going this way, what are you going to do? What? No, you're not. I'm not. Because if I keep going that way and I'm blind, I'm going to fall down. Y'all going to laugh at me, right? If I'm completely blind and somebody says, just keep on coming, I'm going to stop moving. Right? You ain't getting me to fall in no pit. <laughs> right? Here's what, here's what I really think is going on. I think God has put a delusion in front of them. Right. They're, they're, they're seeing like they're seeing, but like a limited sight because Elijah says, what? Come on. And you imagine how bad it is when like the, the guy you're after is the guy leading you into into this next thing. Right. And so, so he's got this delusion. And, and I just think of it when we look at the, the blindness of unbelievers. Right. The whole life of an unbeliever is a delusion. When you really think about it, think about the Think about the, the mix up of priorities and everything else. That goes on, right? So Elijah confuses them. He leads them into a, a position of complete vulnerability. 
you guys know that know the scene. So so we finished on time. I'm gonna go to verse 21, right? So they come to get him. You know, Elijah walks out. And he's like, oh, follow me. I'll lead you over there to that place. And God does this whole delusion thing, and he and he gets them there, and then he gets them into this area where they really are surrounded by everything. In verse 21, it says, then the king of Israel saw them, and he said to Elijah, should we kill them all now? He was Cliff, right? The king was Cliff. And Elijah says, man, you don't kill the people you put into prison yourself. These aren't even your prisoners like God did these ones, right? So it makes you think you should kill them. And you're like, all right, they're going to be workers forever. They're going to be in prison because that's what our enemies deserve, right? Somebody who doesn't believe the same thing we believe. Somebody who doesn't practice the same thing we practice. Somebody who lives a little different lifestyle, right? That's what they deserve. Here's what it says, though. Elijah replies, man, you're not going to kill them. What you're going to do is you're going to go, you're going to go get some food and water for them. Hold on, Elijah. They're my enemies. They were getting ready to kill you, dude. Like, I don't know if you caught that. Like, they were out. You were the guy on the poster. Luckily, the drawing wasn't that good, and they didn't know it was you leading them back over here because they didn't have smartphones yet. But, but like, they were they were there to get you. And Elijah says, no, you're going to go get them food. You're going to go get them a drink. Verse 23, God's love goes so much further than our minds, guys, right? Verse 23, so he prepared a big feast for them. And they ate till their bellies were full and got drunk. Right? And then he sends them away. Guys, I don't know if you're, if you're catching what's going on, right? What finally snaps, or, or, or they, they're, they're spiritually blind, that what, what they get out of their spiritual blindness or, or physical blindness, yes, I understand it, right? Delusion that they're in. They look around and they're surrounded by the enemies. They're expecting judgment. They're expecting people to be mean. They're expecting their enemy to, to attack. The irony of this whole thing is this is a group of people that thought their resolution to their problem was to capture and destroy God's man. Instead, they found a blessing when they're captured by God's man. Like how how, how ironic and, and changes. Here's ultimate victory is not to destroy your enemy. Ultimate victory is when you turn your enemy into your friend. Oh, man. Right? That's what Elijah's doing with his soldiers. It's what Jesus did with us in case you were thinking that wasn't a good line. It's a really good line because God says you were his enemy. Right? And he turned you into his friend. Right? These the Syrian soldiers, they think they know what's going to happen. They, they, they think they're, they're, we're like them. We are like them at times when we're spiritually blind, guys. What, what is it? Well, if I just get this job, if I just get this relationship, if I just get this salary, if I just get this level of fame, if I just get this, you're not going to get nothing until you're captured by God when we're talking about for eternity, right? True joy is not in a boyfriend, scholarship, job, retirement, new house, or any of those stuff. It's being reconciled with God. They're, they're totally changed. Look at how the, the chapter ends. The chapter for us. Not chapter 6 is old, but verse 23. And then they stopped raiding Israel's territory. Wow. What changed them, Pastor? Did they, they beat them in the corner until they realized? No, they loved them. Do we get it? This, this whole section, man, it blew my mind. I'm like, man, what in the world? Like, this is Old Testament God. I'm thinking like, boom, drop kick, you know, from the top row, chair to the head. Take them out kind of thing. But he feeds them so much so they get packed with food and drunk with, with drink. And then he sends them on their merry little way. And, and then it just adds that last little line in case you're wondering, like, well, well, what happened to them? They never came back and raided again. Now, I don't know completely what their reason for never raiding again, but I'm just wondering if you and I would love our enemies that way. If we'd sit down and eat and drink with them, even those people that are different than you, that you're so worried about because they don't live the same lifestyle you live and they don't do the same things you do, and they don't act the same way you do, and they don't talk the same way you do. What if you sat down and ate with them and drank with them? Don't get drunk with them. I'm Baptist, right? 
So you, you got that part. But, but, but what if you were to sit down and spend that much time with them? I wonder when they left you if they'd be completely different, right? The believer and the unbeliever, this servant and, and these, these unbelieving Syrian army guys, they get, a, they get a fresh glimpse of God's love. And that's more important than 10,000 practical points in a sermon. I mean, really. So some of us, we thrive on Bible knowledge, and I love that, man. I really do. I'm not taking away from Bible knowledge in any way, right? But, but here's the reality. When I study verses like this and I, and I think about things in Scripture, right? Like, like you, you don't need more Bible trivia to make you a more practical believer. You don't need to learn more Hebrew words and insights from That stuff's great. I love it. You see me do it all the time. But, but that's not what you need. What you need is a fresh view of God's love. What you need is a fresh view of, of the cross. What you need is to realize that, that you, you go back to being like that guy who lost his axe head when you lose the love of Christ, and you're just making a bunch of noise accomplishing nothing when you're trying to do things without. Maybe the axe head is the Holy Spirit. Let's go there with it, right? Can't accomplish nothing without the Holy Spirit, so the axe head is the Holy Spirit. You get swollen up by the Word of God to, to bathe into you. I can tie it all together. This is great, right? So you got all that going on. And if you're just beating with a stick, making a bunch of noise because you've got all your Theology, knowledge, and all the mumbo-jumbo crap going on, right? But not applying it with love? What, what, what does Paul say to the Corinthians? You're like a clinging symbol. You're useless, right? You're making a bunch of noise but accomplishing nothing. Is that what we want to be as a church? Is that what you want to be when people say you're a believer? Jesus didn't die so you could have a bunch of head knowledge. He died so you could have a heart full of love, right? He died so that you could change the world that way. I... I it, Go back to Paul when I said Ephesians 3. I think Paul was like on this roll in this letter. And he's like, I'm going to change him with my theology. I'm going to change him with principle. I'm going to change. And then he's like, I, I don't even know how to describe this love that's overtaken me and changed. Now, Paul was a guy, you got to think about now. Paul was a guy who had all the biblical knowledge, right? And it didn't change you. Paul got changed when he was what? A blind man on the road to Damascus. So Paul knew exactly what it was to be blind and then have sight brought forth to you, right? He knew what it was to realize how great God really is, how wonderful God's plans really are. I was, I was reading this thing. Talk about us being foolish sometimes. I was reading this thing and this lady, she was, she got gas and she gets back on the interstate and this 18 wheeler like speeds up behind her. So, so she's kind of scared, you know, so she speeds up a little more on the interstate. That 18 wheeler speeds up faster. So then she slows down. She's like, well, he'll go around me. He stays like right. I'm talking right on her butt as close as he can. Right. So so she gets off the interstate, makes a turn. 18 wheeler gets off the interstate, makes a turn. She she runs through a red light. 18 wheeler runs through a red light. It, you know, true story. She's writing this thing. Right. She's telling telling, you know, somebody about this thing and this event and all this thing that's, that's taking place. So she says she finally gets enough ahead where she feels like she can park the car in a parking lot and get out and run into the store. So she, she gets in the parking lot. And she runs out the door, leaving the door open and everything. She's sprinting into the store. While she's running, she looks behind her. The guy has jumped out of the 18-wheeler, and he's run straight to her car, opened the back door, and snatched this little jerk out that had jumped in at the gas station. She was running from her own protection. And I wonder how often you and I do the same. We're running from our own protection. When God's right behind us, say, man, I got watch over you. Even when you don't know, I'm watching over you. When you're at work, when you're at school, when you're at home, when you're on the road, I've got my eye on you. And I'm following close enough where as soon as you get free, I can snatch that jerk out of the back of the car that meant evil for you. Close your eyes. Just, just, just pick, everybody close your eyes. 
Picture whatever you feel like was surrounding you this week, this month, so far this year. I don't know what it is. For each of us, it's probably something different. Something in our home, something at work. Kids, grandkids, spouse. Now you're picturing that that thing. Now I want you to look a little further, and I, and I think if you'll open your eyes a little further, you'll see the chariots of fire. And, and you'll feel God's presence saying, though the enemy's all around you, I'm all around your enemy. Like they might be surrounding you, but I'm surrounding them. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for numbers that I can't fathom about how big this great universe is that you've made. And then you use that universe to describe your love for us. Thank you, God, for stories in Scripture where you care about the axe head as much as you care about an entire Syrian army. God, thank you because sometimes I'm the one who's working in the forest and I'm the one who's lost my axe head. You look past all the rest and see me as an individual. Thank you for caring. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your grace, Lord God, that when I was an enemy, You surrounded me with enough of your love to change me and let me leave differently. God, I pray right now that you convict us, Lord God. Convict your believers in this room first, Lord God, about having that tiny head, that tiny knowledge, not, not, not noticing the presence of you, Lord God. Not acting like we're in the presence of you, doubting you, letting fear get in the way, danger get in the way. God, help us as unbelievers when when we're acting like, Lord God, the world with the way we treat people who are different than us. God, convict us right now where we're guilty, Lord God, because if we don't get convicted, we'll never change. I don't want us to leave here the same. God, I want us to be like the, 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 the guy with Elijah, Lord God, where he said, where'd you lose it? And where'd you get it back at? I, I want us to get it back right now this morning. That our, our lunch dates are different. Our dinner dates are different. And God, if there's unbelievers with us this morning, Lord, I pray, God, that they feel your presence more than they've ever felt it before. God, that they, they get curious about what's going on. God, they feel loved by everybody in this room, Lord God. And because of that, they know there's something different in here than in the world outside. And that promotes them, Lord God, to be like the end of this verse where they leave differently. God, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.